next couple of days. Mark Morrison, return of the Mac. Kevin Barrett's a friend of ours, a really good friend too. He's a broadcaster, writer, academic. Find him at kevinbarrett.substack.com. His articles are always interesting and thought-provoking, particularly in the last 10 to 12 days. Go there. He writes for UNS as well, truthjihad.com. He does an excellent radio program, and he's having more success than I am in recent weeks of getting people on his program who disagree with him, which makes for entertaining and educational radio, at least in my opinion. He's on the line from Morocco. Kevin, welcome back, pal. How are you? Hey, I'm well, Richie. Good to be back with you. Thanks, Kevin. Sorry, there was a little delay there. It was my fault. Um, but you're on. You're here. And, and thank God for that. Um, I'm beginning to wonder about the attack on the Al-Ali hospital yesterday. I'm beginning to wonder if Israel um, actually didn't do it and that a broken clock is, uh, is right twice a day and that it may in fact have been an accident. Missiles bound for, 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 for Israel, as has been claimed by the wretched, the utterly wretched Israeli defence forces before anybody starts to shout at me. But I'm wondering if there's some truth to it. I find it hard to believe hundreds of people have died, Kevin. A lot of buildings remain intact. I don't understand what's going on. What's your take on it? Well, it, well, it, it uh, obviously we need to keep investigating, but it looks like hundreds have died and there's, uh, a lot of, you know, pile, a huge pile of rubble with, uh, large numbers of bodies there. And since the Palestinian resistance doesn't have any rocket bombs that can kill 50 people, much less 500 and reduce large, uh, areas to rubble like that, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that, that Israel did it and that all of this propaganda is the usual, uh, Zionist lies and, and psyops. Well, that would be that would be my interpretation nine times out of ten. But you said there's a lot of rubble there. I spent the afternoon looking at Twitter videos posted by everybody, posted by Al Jazeera, by other news organizations, posted by Palestinians with camera phones. And while there does appear to be a big mess there, it appears to be in a car park and the buildings themselves seem to be pretty much un, un, unharmed. So am I to believe, and I'm not having a go at you, by the way, this is all supposition. Am I to believe that hundreds of people were in a car park when these um, projectiles hit or, or, or what? Well, yeah, that I, you know, I haven't looked closely to see which parts of this complex were destroyed, which weren't. But what was put out from the Palestinian side immediately was that a large number of the people killed were refugees or double refugees, you know, people who had taken the Israeli advice to uh, move out of uh, of North Gaza uh, into South Gaza and that they were camped out, presumably in the car park. Uh, so that would be why they're under the rubble there. Okay, I can I can kind of buy that. What What I don't buy, though, is with the visit of the President of the United States, irrespective, irrespective of his cognitive state, we can, we can joke about that, but with the world's media focusing on that, I can't find, I really can't imagine what Israel had to gain by doing that with the world's media traveling across the Atlantic with Biden. Why would they do that? Nothing to gain. I can't see any gain. Well, they, they dominate the world's media and, uh, they're also just, you know, just vicious, 
not, you know, this is, this has no military significance. None of this does. There's not, they're not bombing anything in Gaza that has any military significance at all. They're just torturing and killing civilians. They're bombing, uh, hospitals. This, I think there, there's several dozen hospitals that have already been destroyed by Israeli bombs and they're not giving warning. They have, they're bombing ambulances. They're uh, bombing uh, refugee encampments. They're bombing convoys. Uh, they, they killed 60 or 70 people in a convoy right after they ordered them to, they ordered that mass evacuation of over a million people. And then they bombed the people who were, who were leaving. Uh, and again, this is, none of this has any military significance. They are just exterminating Palestinians in a terror operation. It's their, I believe their objective is to try to kill and expel the remaining Palestinians, not only from Gaza, but also from the West Bank. And I think that they sent a strong message to Biden that we own you. You know, Biden was on the way there with the world's Zionist controlled uh, mainstream press corps with him. And they just tugged on his puppet strings and they tugged on the, on the uh, mainstream media's puppet strings. So it, it, this, it doesn't really surprise me at all. It's par for the course. Israel says, I hate to speak in these terms, Israel, because Israel is really a government. It's a, it's a country made up of, of, I can't off the top of my head give the population, but um, several million people. So, so I, 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 this, this bothers me talking about China and Iran. But anyway, look, the, the government says that what happened with the convoy, they said Hamas did it. It wanted to punish people. Um, for leaving and that Hamas likes the area to be pretty populated because then they can go crying to the world's media when Israel comes after Hamas and it ends up um, inflicting casualties on civilians. So that's what Israel is saying. I'm not saying I believe it for a minute, but that's what it says with respect to the charge that it attacked um, a convoy. What I wanted to ask you, you've had some brilliant shows lately where you've talked to people who see it a bit differently. When it happened... You, I believe, saw it when, sorry, excuse me, when this latest round of violence began, and I know before you start shouting at me that Palestinians experience violence at the hands of the IDF and the Israeli police every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I know that. But when this latest escalation began about 12 or so days ago, Hamas's incursion into southern Israel, and you believed, didn't you, or maybe you still do believe, that it was a it was a coup, almost not a coup, but it was a brilliant strategic move by Hamas penetrating the Israeli defences, very well planned and very well thought out. When others, who you've spoken to in, in recent days, they believe something else happened, that it was a self-inflicted wound by Israel, and that is explained by the fact there wasn't any real defence or any real kind of mobilisation by the Israelis for about six hours. What do you think today? Looking back at it. Well, at this point, I haven't run into any information that would make me change my mind. Although I do think that it was, it was not only a very well planned operation by Hamas and it was not aimed at killing civilians, by the way. It was aimed at attacking Israeli military sites, taking Israeli military hostages and civilian hostages if the opportunity arose. So that, that's what it was supposed to do. And this has actually been in the mainstream media, which has walked back many of their earlier claims. You know, the early reporting all came from the Israeli propaganda machine saying that, you know, the Palestinians had come in and just butchered all of these civilians. And it turns out, of course, that's not the case. It turns out 
that the, hang on, hang on, Kev, Kev, hang on. They did kill a lot of civilians. Well, a lot of and, civilians get killed, but the civilians were pro- probably the majority of civilians. Probably the, the great majority of civilians were actually killed by the Israeli defense forces because these were in firefights. And in the firefights, the way the Israeli defense forces fight is they have a doctrine of using overwhelming firepower to prevent any live hostages from ever being taken if they can stop it. So what happened was that Hamas would be, you know, come in, find a bunch of potential civilian hostages, round them up, and then the IDF would just come in and kill everybody. Uh, and and that, that's probably how the majority of the Israeli civilians died. But in yeah, any case... Academic, uh, hang on, you, you're an academic and you're a bit of a doyen when it comes to critical thinking. I'm surprised at you. I mean, that's that's pure supposition. That That's not backed up by any facts. It's, no, it's backed up by all kinds of facts, including interviews with Israeli hostages who talked about how they were treated uh, very gently and kindly as guests. And then the IDF came in and blew everybody away and killed everybody, except for I'm left to tell the tale. That's from an Israeli uh, program. I can send you the link if you want. You can listen to them talk about it in Hebrew. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to interrupt you. I don't do that. But I think those are two different things. I'm perfectly willing to accept that Israel didn't give a damn about the hostages in Gaza and has killed its own people by by in, in retaliation. I have no problem with that. But I've seen videos on two websites, Kevin. I'm not going to give the names of these websites because I'm I'm kind of in the family era. I'm I'm it's tea time here as it is more or less where you are in Morocco. But there are a couple of let's call them gore sites, right? I don't look at them for for for, for um What's the word I'm looking for here now? It's for gratification. I look at news items on these from time to time. And I've seen what I believe, and I've been a journalist for over 25 years. I've seen videos posted by Palestinians or posted by Hamas of them running down Israeli civilians and killing them and jumping on their bodies. Right? So that, that's horrendous, Kevin. And, and, and I wanted to kind of extrapolate that. Because you know you're speaking to an. Yeah, well, I'm not saying there were no war crimes committed by that side. Yeah. In, the, in the heat of battle, there are going to be war crimes. But what, what I am saying is that that operation, that the soldiers, the Hamas soldiers in that operation, were ordered not to harm civilians, but they they could fight settlers. And basically, the operational distinction is that a settler is a quote unquote Israeli civilian who fights back. So, right, because they, I mean, uh, every Jew in Israel, except for the the uh, religious Jews, serves in the IDF. So all adult Jewish Israelis are either IDF or they're ex-IDF, and many of them are armed. And so when the Palestinians go in an operation like this to take hostages and to fight with the Israeli military, they sometimes also have to fight back with quote unquote civilians. And there, of course, there will be war crimes committed, but that the orders were uh, strict orders not to harm civilians. And the objective was to go after the Israeli military to take military hostages and secondarily to take civilian hostages and the orders were not to harm or to kill civilians and they must have known they were going to kill civilians and children were going to be in that number so here's the question that i can't get my head around this hamas would would have known wouldn't they that the response from israel or the israeli defense forces was going to be absolutely brutal as it has been as far as i can understand nearly four thousand people in total in the last few days have been killed in Gaza. Richie, no, I, th- I think you're wrong. I don't think they knew that because according, this is in the Western, the good Western media, the, uh, the Western media that actually bothers to look at anything in any depth, such as the Washington Post, the New York Times, which are terrible overall, but they still have been publishing stories in recent days showing that ha- Hamas had no idea that their operation would be remotely 
that successful. They thought they were just going to cross the border. If they were really lucky, they might manage to do some damage to that Israeli command post, grab a few hostages, and hightail it back into Gaza. That's what they expected to happen. But they had unexpected success. They actually managed to take that guard post, which was in charge of the entire border wall. So then they just kept going. But they had no idea that was going to happen in advance. Therefore, they had no idea that the uh, they would have a big successful operation like that that would lead to this kind of retaliation. Now that's I know it's the opinion of others, but that's your opinion. No, I, that's the New York freaking Times and the Washington Post. It's not I, me. I just said it's yours and others, okay, the New York Times and the Washington Post. But again, I would say, Councillor, um, argumentative, that's supposition. We don't know because we haven't spoken to the heads. Yeah, I've been watching Al Jazeera, and they were embedded practically with, with, with this operation from the get-go. I mean, tons of video as it was unfolding. Uh, and it's, it's really clear that that's how it went down. There was absolutely no way Hamas could possibly have imagined that they would be that successful. Anybody who thinks that they thought they were going to be that successful in advance is smoking something. No, fair enough. 1,400 people were killed. It doesn't, they matter, of course. Everybody matters. Every life on planet Earth matters, regardless of your ethnicity or your creed. Um, I still can't get past the six hour can you verify that? I mean, I trust you not to bullshit. You tend to tell the truth, even if it doesn't suit your story. Did it take six hours for the Israelis to respond? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's so, you know, maybe there was some kind of lie-hop stand-down. I mean, that would re- fit with the Palestinians saying they were shocked at how easily they were able to overrun the border post and essentially disable the Israeli defenses. So maybe they had help. I don't know. It's uh, I, I see it as an open question. I certainly wouldn't jump to conclusions that it is a false flag. And what I really oppose is these people saying, oh, Hamas is really just an Israeli group, that sort of thing. That's just not true. Hamas is a formidable military force that enjoys the support of everybody in the region, as does Hezbollah. Let me jump in. So Hamas is a formidable military force, right? Why, why are we so quick, and by we I include myself, to never – assign certain properties to Hamas or to Hezbollah that we very quickly, characteristics that we very quickly assign to the Israeli Defense Forces or to the militaries of the UK or the United States. It cannot be improbable. I'm not saying this is true, but why wouldn't Hamas from time to time engage in a false flag operation to suit its own ends? Why wouldn't Hamas consider, you know what, let's kill a couple of hundred people in a car park uh, of a hospital or, or three or five, God knows how many it is, because we can get great capital out of that. Why wouldn't they? Are you telling me that Hamas is some sort of saintly organization would never do anything like that? No, I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you, though, Richie, is that false flags are almost always done by people whose side controls the media. Because otherwise, it's if if the other side controls the media – then the other side's media is going to very quickly be able to show, uh, to expose your false flag. So historically, there's, there are really no examples that I can even think of, of false flags being done by these uh, forces like the Palestinians who are fighting the global media, who don't really have control of the way that the event is going to be portrayed in the media. Yeah, but you're lumping, you're lumping Hamas and the Palestinians in together as one group. Well, they are. I mean, <laughs> but they're not because I've heard Palestinians on British television and they're genuine. And I interviewed a Palestinian uh, academic on my program and they don't have a lot of time for Hamas. 
So I'd love to know, but I suppose we never will know because nobody's going to canvas the men and women of um, you know, downtown Gaza to ask them whether they like Hamas or not. But I'm guessing a lot of them probably don't. What do you think? Well, I, Hamas uh, has become increasingly popular over the past decades as the PLO and PLA became just local tools of the Zionist occupation and were began, you know, were basically seen as collaborators in the jealous genocide of the Palestinians. So I think a, a clear majority of Palestinians and again, in virtual unanimity right, right now of people in the MENA region, uh, including here in Morocco, virtually everybody supports Hamas and Hezbollah and all of the Palestinian resistance groups. Kevin, where is this going to um, proceed with a build up? A build-up is probably an exaggeration, but the UK and the United States have sent have sent ships to uh, the Gulf. Some of the mainstream media in this country is speculating the tensions have never been as high as active Hezbollah was to get involved. This might escalate if Iran was to get involved. This might escalate into something that could be, you know, effectively another for the first time in 70, 80 years, a global conflict. Is there any danger of that, do you think? Oh, yeah. There's, I, I think it's at least 50-50 that that's, you know, we're, we're on the brink of World War III. The, the recklessness of putting these two aircraft carrier groups right off the coast of Gaza at a moment when taking out ships with the new anti-ship missiles has never been easier is an act of supreme recklessness. You know, each of these aircraft carriers costs almost $13 billion. And for uh, maybe a, a few million or even less worth of anti-ship missiles, you can take them out. So the people who are angry about the U.S. supporting Israel's genocide might decide to sink one or both of those carriers and could have the means to do it. I would imagine even a wealthy individual might be able to buy the means to do it. Uh, and there are a lot of angry, wealthy individuals in this part of the world. And then, of course, there's the false flag possibility that the Zionists might want to sink that, uh, sink the American ships and blame it on their regional enemies, especially Iran. Uh, so, and, and this is coming right as we're approaching next Monday's anniversary of the 1983 Marine barracks bombing, where more than 200 uh, American Marines were killed. Uh, something similar could happen, only this time it could be 5,000 people killed on each of these two aircraft carriers, meaning you know, 10,000 plus American lives lost, kind of the other ships. And that, of course, would be sufficient to trigger a World War III scenario. And then finally, we should note that the real mission of those ships might very well be to uh, chase the Russians out of Syria. And this takes us back to 1967, when that was also the plan for the USS Liberty incident, which Johnson and the Israelis connived to have the Israelis uh, try to murder hundreds of American sailors on that unarmed spy ship, the USS Liberty. It was going to be blamed on Egypt and lead the U.S. to uh, enter the war and just utterly destroy Egypt and destroy Russian bases in Egypt with nuclear weapons. And we came within seconds or at the most a couple of minutes of a nuclear war breaking out. The American nuclear armed bombers were sent to Cairo with orders to drop those nuclear weapons on Russian installations. And they were called back uh, seconds or minutes beyond when they were at the point of no return. So we're, we're reaching that kind of scenario again now. Yeah, so those aircraft carriers are very likely going to be threatening Russian installations in Syria, just like uh, in Egypt in 1967. And the Russians and their many allies in the region, as well as angry individuals and groups and nations, uh, all have 
uh, very strong motivations to destroy those sitting duck aircraft carriers, uh, which can be so easily done today. Uh, those aircraft carriers are worthless. They're sitting ducks. They're just asking to be taken out by somebody with, with weapons that cost uh, a minuscule fraction of what those ships cost. Kevin Barrett is our guest, broadcaster, academic writer, kevinbarrett.substack.com. He writes for UNS, of course, as well, truthjihad.com. He broadcasts very interesting programs. Check them out if you haven't. Very good question from Stephanie. Needless to say, since you came on with me, hundreds of messages coming in via the Richie Allen Show app. Downloaded, folks, Google Play or the App Store. We're very sophisticated, Kevin. Stephanie asks, Kevin, my own question, my main question since this happened is, why is Hamas not making official statements? Why do we not hear from them? That's a good question. Why? I, well, maybe because the Western media isn't conveying their messages. I just watched a brilliant, beautiful, and eloquent speech by the head of Hamas's uh, political information bureau last night on Al Jazeera. And, you know, his command of the Arabic language was exquisite. It was, you know, I'm, I'm working on my Arabic here as I uh, get settled into Morocco. And his Arabic was so clear and eloquent and easy to understand. Uh, but I imagine that none of that is being conveyed into the Western media. Where was he broadcasting from? Uh, it was just, it, it was issued uh, from Hamas Political Bureau. And I'm not, I'm not sure where he physically uh, was located. In fact, I'm not sure he wanted anyone to know. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's probably not in Gaza. You see, and that will, that will rile some people up because Hamas leadership, we understand, is dotted around other parts of the Gulf and not in Gaza, while ordinary men, women and children get blown to smithereens. You can understand why that might annoy people, Kevin. Uh, well, they don't have a lot of choice. I mean, there are people, there are Hamas people in Gaza and there are Hamas people out of Gaza and they're just trying to run, uh, an effective organization uh, trying to save their people from genocide. It's interesting the point you made about the, the media. Obviously, I've been in the media since 1998, and I do remember a time when the media of the US and the UK would speak to, you know, quote, the other side, unquote. They would speak with groups that were had been deemed to be heretics, whether it be in the Middle East or elsewhere, they would always endeavour to get that interview, to try and get them on the record, to try and get to, to understand what it is they were doing and why they were doing it. But that's, of course, conspicuous by its absence these days, isn't it? You never see that anymore. Like, I mean, when, for example, when the Syria, um, I don't want to say issue, I don't want to just diminish it like that, but when they were trying to remove Bashar al-Assad, and it was at, and they're still trying to do that, when, when it was at its worst, only one organization gave him an interview. I think it was Orti. He was never invited to speak on the BBC to explain his point of view as to what was going on in his country. And I just wonder, you know, is that kind of occurring to people as they sit down and watch the main evening news? You know, will it eventually seep into people's consciousness, Kevin? That they're not getting anything other than Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel, Israel, Israel. And I don't know if you've noticed this because you're in Morocco, but on the UK and especially on the United States media, which I observe, I know you do as well, they are frequently dropping a term um, into the lexicon. It's Hamas ISIS. Have you heard this? Hamas ISIS all the time. Yes, and you know that that leads to a really important point, Richie, which is that ISIS and Al Qaeda have essentially no support in the Islamic world. 
uh, and there, there have been polls that back this up. Uh, it never had any. And one of the reasons, in fact, in fact, the biggest reason is that both these organizations support targeting civilians. And Muslims have no use for that in, in Muslim scripture. You're just not allowed to do that. So, however, Hamas and Hezbollah, despite having, uh, some war crimes, uh, in their records, uh, basically don't target civilians. And additionally, they, they don't go all over the world just slaughtering people. They are trying to liberate their own areas. And so they have virtually unanimous support in the Arab and Islamic worlds. So this notion of trying to connect these fake groups, I, I, ISIS was created in a U.S. prison camp in Iraq, undoubtedly by people who were brainwashed by American specialists. And Al-Qaeda is the CIA database. That's what the word means, the database. Al-Qaeda was the original CIA database of Mujahideen. So ISIS and Al-Qaeda are essentially false flag groups. They are manipulated and even created by intelligence agencies, and they are anti-Muslim groups. They're fighting against the Islam awakening. They're fighting, ultimately, they're on the side of the people who are genociding Palestine and colonizing and, and robbing the Islamic world, whereas uh, ISIS, I'm sorry, whereas as, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah are authentic resistance groups that are following defensible strategies uh, with morality and ethics on their side, and, and they enjoy near unanimous support, as I said, in the region and in the Muslim Ummah. Uh, so the, the difference is, is critical. And I believe, Richie, that actually not only the creation of ISIS, but also 9-11, which is what put Al-Qaeda on the map and put so-called Islamic terrorism on the map. 9-11 was done by Israel, and it was a public relations stunt precisely to try and discredit the legitimate Palestinian resistance. Now, the people, the dancing Israelis were arrested for setting up to film before the planes hit and then wildly celebrating the destruction of the World Trade Center. And then they were arrested and ultimately sent back to Israel, the first thing they said to the police who arrested them was, we're not your problem. The Palestinians are your problem. And likewise, the, uh, the whoever sent the anthrax letters a couple of months later, and those anthrax letters said on the envelopes, death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great, uh, written in a, in a Hebrew accent, undoubtedly, the whole purpose of that was to tie in the idea of the evil Muslims are attacking both Israel and the United States. So the idea is to tie in terrorism with, at, with the enemies of Israel and then to try to make the whole West think that that was uh, a huge threat. So that that's, you know, these people who are, who are saying ISIS and Hamas and that sort of thing, that's just typical Zionist Hasbro created by the same people who murdered the Kennedys, blew up the World Trade Center and murdered 3,000 Americans and are lying to you every day thanks to their complete control of the mainstream media, which is owned by wealthy Jewish Zionists. I've never been, I've never, I've never agreed with the Israel did September the 11th. You know this, we've, we've had this out a few times over the years. I just don't believe that. But I, I cannot explain the dancing Israelis, which is a real story. And nothing you said there about that story is untrue. So that's strange. But I don't believe Israel ordered it. I can believe that the Secret Service, excuse me, the intelligence agencies of the United States to get the U.S. into wars in the Middle East, seven countries and all of that, um, I, I can believe that they may be used agents um, from overseas, from other countries, but I've never bought, bought into that. Kevin, what do you say? Because I have Jewish listeners. I'm in Manchester. Uh, I'm in Salford. There's a Jewish community here. I know Jews here. I genuinely do. You know this because we've had this out before. I've got friends. In fact, one of my greatest friends of all time is a Jewish guy. 
when he says when he says to me tomorrow, which he will, now he's a free speech absolutist, my Jewish friend, right? So so he's not going to tell me not to interview you again, but he's going to say, Richie, Kevin is educated, he's nice, he's uh, he's approachable, he sounds all right, he sounds like he's a good broadcaster and he's a good writer. But every, to guys like Kevin, the Jews did everything. The Jews did this, the Jews did that. The Jews, the Jews, the Jews. They own the banks, they own the media, they own all of that. And that's just anti-Semitism. That's what I'm going to be told. He won't tell me not to interview you again, but others will. They'll say this is just ancient anti-Semitism. Go ahead. All right. Well, t- first, you know, tell him to do some research on the, on the topics that I've been talking about. Uh, where, you know, where do we start? Like there's Laurent Guyano's book, JFK 9-11. Uh, you spell that G-U-Y-E-N-O-T. Uh, and that summarizes the case that Israel killed President John F. Kennedy because Kennedy was dedicated to shutting down the Demona nuclear facility and Ben Gurion, the then president of Israel, who resigned, uh, in spring of 1963 and probably took charge of the, the uh, program that killed Kennedy felt that the nuclear program was crucial for Israel's security. So read that book, and if you have time, go ahead and read Michael Collins Piper's book, Final Judgment, which goes into details. And if you read those books, you'll see that what I'm claiming is very far from implausible. It's very strongly supported by evidence. And the same is true of the various other areas. Uh, I'd be happy to send some articles and links to him, uh, such as Philip Weiss's brilliant article, uh, Do... Jews dominate American media, and so what if we do? And the answer to so what is, is well, for answer to the first question is, yes, we do. Uh, the majority of my bosses and most important decision-making colleagues have been Jewish in my mainstream media career. And the so what is that that means that most Jews, not me, <laughs> most of the Jews in the media are viscerally connected to Israel and see the Western media as the last line of defense, keeping Israel afloat. Uh, and and I, I could go on, but the point is, is that enough. the truth is the truth, and anti-Semitism is racial prejudice, and none of this has anything to do with race. It has to do with ideology and, and political identity. Fair enough. Right. Um, supposing I read those books then, supposing I take an undertaking, uh, I make a promise to read the books you just mentioned there. Um, what about you, Jake Wallace Simmons, or Simons, who writes for the Jewish Chronicle? He's got a book out called Israelophobia. He's just released it. Um, I know another Jewish guy called David Badil. He's a comedian. He's written a book about anti-Semitism. Um, are you open-minded enough to read those books, Kevin, and have a look at them? Absolutely, yeah. I'd, I'd be happy to have those guys on my radio show to talk about it. Uh, I, I think the thing is, though, I think a lot of people, you know, we just grow up with the dominant discourse of our societies in the air and we internalize it. We don't realize how utterly insane this whole notion of having uh, the Jewish people invade, occupy, and ethnically cleanse Palestine, cross the, cross the seas thousands of miles to murder and expel the people who are living there. That is the descendants of the ancient Jews and the descendants of Jesus. That's who the Palestinians are. Jew, European Jews who did this are from Eastern Europe. So having these Eastern Europeans travel thousands of miles to exterminate and expel the descendants of the ancient Hebrews and the descendants of Jesus in order to create a so-called Jewish state, uh, an ethnically pure one, and they'll have to kill and expel the non-Jews. That whole notion is so extreme and so outrageous and outlandish that we just grow up on it and we breathe it as we grow up. And so we don't, uh, you know, we, we can't get the perspective on it that people outside the Western media bubble have. Very, very, very good. Well, here's the, to, to add to that, yes, I agree with all of that. But 
we're, we're in a never-ending cycle because as I understand from watching a very, very good documentary about Norman Finkelstein, somebody we know and I've had on this program over the years, is that Israeli kids are brought up to believe that everybody wants to kill them. That's child abuse. And at the same time, and I know you're going to argue that the Palestinian parents maybe have more of a right to do it, but kids in Gaza are brought up to believe that their next door neighbours or those bad people over the fence want to kill them too. And that might be true, but it means there is a perpetual cycle of hatred, Kevin, that's never going to end, is it, as long as we're alive? I hope Kevin is still with me. Are you still there, Kevin? Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, the you know Miko Pellet has pointed out he's he's the son of a of a military hero in Israel who helped win the sixty seven war, and Miko Pellet has become friends with Palestinians. He just he was shocked to discover that as an Israeli and a descendant of a, a great anti Palestine Israeli war hero, he could go into Palestine and be. <laughs> Uh, treated on, as an honored guest and given tea and everybody wanted to talk to him. And he, he was shocked because he had been taught that they all wanted to kill him. But I, I think that if a Palestinian, like a descendant of, say, Sheikh Yassin or Yasser Arafat, goes into Israel and says, hey, I'm a descendant of Sheikh Yassin or Yasser Arafat, and, uh, you know, I, I want to find a way to talk to you guys and learn about you guys. The Israelis aren't going to treat him that way. I, you know, I think there's really a huge difference. And, and there's, there's a, a book, I think it's, it's Kaplan's, the Arabs, Arabis, uh, written by a Zionist, uh, American Jew, who points out that virtually all the diplomats that are sent over there and they spend time in Israel, they spend time in Palestine and in the Arab countries, they all end up loving Pal the Palestinians and the Arabs and they don't end up loving the Israelis. They're just not as lovable. And there's a, there really is a difference. The way, the conditioning of people in Israel is nastier than the way people grow up in Palestine uh, being taught that they're, you know, they, they need this resistance to, to save themselves from genocide. It's unfair to say that the Israelis are not as lovable. That's outrageous from an academic. You know, no, it's damn. not. Hang it's, on, let's it's finish true. my point before you come back and you'll have the final word because we're just out of time. And when you have the final word, I will not editorialize as I never do. Listen, there are many great Israeli men and women who are against the occupation and who do as much as they can with the limited resources they have to raise the uh, the, the profile of what's going on in Gaza. And you know this. So it's unfair to say they're not as lovable. Plenty of good Israelis. Yeah, well, Miko Pellet is lovable. Gilad Atzman is lovable. There are you know, a bunch of lovable Israelis and ex-Israelis. However, uh, the poll showed that virtually, you know, well over 90% of Israeli Jews supported Operation Cast Lead when white phosphorus was being dropped on children in Gaza. They would go up, Israeli Jews would go up on the hilltops looking down on Gaza and have barbecue parties and celebrate as the bombs and the white phosphorus came down. Again, the poll showed well over 90% of Israeli Jews uh, supported that. So there's a huge problem in Israel and the lovable Israeli Jews are a tiny minority of the overall population. I said that was the final word. I'm a man of my word. Kevin uh, Barrett.substack.com. Find Kevin at truthjihad.com too. Really interesting stuff lately on your platforms, Kevin. Thanks for your time today, pal. And as always, the very best to Rabia. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Richie. Appreciate it. Kevin Barrett, folks, you'll find Kevin on uh, Press TV quite a bit as well. Sadly, no longer available to watch on on our satellite, whatever, on Sky these days, but you can find it online. Check Kevin out there, uh, kevinbarrett.substack.com. The time is fast approaching 6 o'clock.